Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. We are in uh, week number four of our series that is leading up to Easter that we are calling Epic, the greatest story ever told. And in this this series, we're looking at some of the greatest stories that are in the Bible that are written about, um, just from the story of Adam and Eve, maybe you've heard about them, or, or, or Moses, or Noah, and some of these great stories that we hear about, that we read about. And we're looking to really capture the impact and the power that these stories have on our life, because it's not just a story that was told. It's a, it's a real event that happened, but God has written about it in the Bible in order to, to, for us to, ha- to learn lessons through it, to have some kind of impact on our life to where it not only is something that we read about, but it's something that while we read about it, it has the power to change and transform our lives. And so as you read each one of these stories, I hope that you're reading it from a place of trying to find how it can apply to you, what kind of things you can pick from this from these stories and apply them to your life in order to help you start to have victory over some of your circumstances or some of the circumstances that you're going to be walking into. Because I don't know if you guys have been here or not. You guys, if you don't know it, if you haven't come out of something tough, um, if, you, if you aren't in, happening like currently, if you're not in something tough, you're about to go into something tough. It's <laughs> like that's the way that life goes. If you're not in a storm, you're about to go into a storm because life can beat you up like that. And if we don't have um, the power that God has given us, and He's given it to us through His Word and through His Holy Spirit, and if we're not leaning on that in order to have victory in this life, we're missing. We're like a carpenter without a tool belt. And so we're looking through these stories and seeing how they can um, apply to our lives today. Maybe you've never been to church before, and so maybe you've never heard any of these stories. And, uh, or maybe you went to church as a kid and you're very familiar with these stories because you learned them Um, in Sunday school. Either way, I think you can take these and you can apply them to your life. So when I was about five years old, my brother was about, I think he was about six. So I have an older brother. He's a year and a half older than me. And I think he was probably six years old at this time, something like that. Um, We were sitting at 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 the breakfast table one morning and uh, it might have been a Sunday morning, I don't know. We didn't go to church, but we, we'd sit around the breakfast table. And we were sitting around the table one morning, and, uh, and my dad, he cooked, re- he, he made really good eggs. Like, they're nice and fluffy, and they're just, they're everything you could want out of a scrambled egg. And so he served us up our usual, like, eggs and toast and um, our breakfast. And then uh, my brother, like, pushed his away. He said, I don't eat eggs anymore. Or he, said, or he said, I don't, I don't eat eggs. I don't eat eggs. My dad was like, what? You've always eaten eggs. So what had happened was my mom, um, my mom had told my brother that when you break the egg open, that the yellow stuff that is inside was chicken pee. And uh, so he never, he never touched eggs again. And um, so more eggs for me. But she told me it was chicken pee. And like in that moment of him discovering what he thought to be true, that the yellow was chicken pee inside of the eggs, his life was changed forever. He would never eat eggs again. My dad pushed his eggs to him. He said, wait a second, you've, you've always eaten eggs. And my brother said this famous line that's still burned in my head today. He said, that was then. 
This is now. <laughs> that was then, and this is now. See, life-changing events are rarely ever planned events, right? Like if you look back on your life, you're going to find out the ones that have shaped you most significantly probably weren't the ones that you planned to shape you the most significantly. It might have been something that occurred while you're on the way to something else. Like you had a dream, you had a goal, you had a vision for your life, and you're going to try to achieve that. And then on the way, something happens that changes everything. The events that, that most radically impact our lives are, are very rarely ever planned. And so this morning, we're going to be reading a story about a man named Jacob. A man named Jacob. And Jacob was, you'll find this story in uh, Genesis chapter um, 32, from 29 to 32 there. And Jacob was the son of a guy named Isaac. And Isaac was... Um, the, the son of a guy named Abraham. And some of us know Abraham very well. Abraham had many kids. Many kids had father Abraham. He's a very important figure in Jewish history. And through that, he's a very important, important figure in um, our Christian faith as well. Because if you guys didn't know, our Christian faith came out of Jewish roots. That Jesus was a Jew. And so we have to really look. That's why our whole, our whole, our whole Old Testament, you pay attention to these stories of these, these, great, these Jewish people that did great things for God. Because that's where our faith came from. And so... Um, Abraham was, is known as the father of um, the Jewish faith. He's known as the father of faith. And Jacob is Abraham's grandson. And Jacob had a twin brother that was named Esau. E-S-A-W. Esau. Not Seesaw. Esau. And, and Jacob, the name Jacob means uh, trickster, deceiver, manipulator, liar. And, and Jacob was always that. Jacob was always the trickster or deceiver. He was a manipulator. In fact, Jacob struggled against his brother Esau where they were twins. They even battled in the womb. Like, you ever thought about battling your twin in the womb? They're battling in their mom's womb. And some of y'all are only carrying one baby right now and thinking, if, if I had two babies kicking, that would be something. So Esau was born first. He was the twin brother that came out first. And Jacob and Esau had a, such a struggle that Jacob actually came out clutching at Esau's heel. He was grabbed on to Esau. That's how much he wanted to, to be first. He was trying to pull himself to first. And so Esau, when he was grown up, Esau became this great hunter. He, he loved to go out and shoot his food and, and do all this. But then Jacob, it says that Jacob liked to stay amongst the tents. He really he liked to cook. He liked to clean. He liked to do all that stuff. And so Jacob, one day, he tricked his brother Esau. Esau was out hunting all day, and, and he came back in, and he's like, I'm starving. And Jacob tricked his brother Esau into giving over his birthright as the firstborn. Esau was tricked into giving his birthright to Jacob because Jacob said, if, I'll feed you if you give me your birthright. And so he gave him a bowl of beans in place of his birthright, his inheritance, which is really kind of crazy. And I, I don't know, Esau's probably not the smartest, not the brightest crown in the box, I guess. He, he gave it all up just for a plate of beans because he thought he was literally going to die from missing one meal. I can identify with that. Um, and so uh, he tricked Esau into giving him his birthright, and that was his position. His inheritance that belonged to Esau was now given to Jacob 
And, and then there's another event that happens later on down the line. You're going to see that Jacob, growing up, was just a trickster. He was a liar. He was a manipulator. He would do anything that he could in order to get ahead. And so later on in, in his life, um, Jacob even tricked his father Isaac into blessing him instead of blessing his brother Esau. And so what happened in, the, in those days was the, the patriarch of the family, the, the father of the family, he would bless the firstborn when he was about to pass away and say, hey, it's your job now to take care of the family. Here's the blessing from God that goes along with that. And so Esau went out hunting again. He went to go, he was going to get some food so that his father could eat and then he could bless him that day um, and give him that spiritual blessing of being the firstborn. And so while Esau was out hunting, Isaac was real old at this time. And so he's like, he's real, he's blind, he's pretty blind. And so while Esau was out hunting, Jacob put Esau's clothes on, and then Esau, the Bible says he was a hairy man. And so uh, Jacob took goat skin, and he put it on all his smooth skin. He covered himself with goat skin, and then he wore his brother's clothes. And so he stepped in uh, for Esau, basically, and and, and tricked his father into blessing him instead of blessing Esau. And that was something so significant spiritually that it's not something that can be reversed. So from that moment on, there was the, that the word was given that um, the younger brother would always uh, um, be a master to the older one. The older brother would have to be a servant to the younger one. And so Esau's furious. He threatens to kill his brother Jacob. And then Jacob leaves home a little while after. He goes to find, he goes to find a wife, um, and he finds two wives uh, he's crazy. He's sisters, actually. He finds sister wives. And so he has them. I wouldn't do it, but whatever. Floats your boat, dude. Um, he, he, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 29. It's a crazy event. And uh, so he has kids. He has a lot of kids. Years pass, and he goes on the run from his father-in-law because he's just, he lives this life of trickery, and chaos just follows him. And so as he's on the run, he prepares to meet his brother Esau. After all these many years, he's terrified. He just knows that Esau is going to try to take his life from him. And he's expecting there to be a conflict. And that's where our story picks up today. Okay, starting in Genesis chapter 32, verse 21, says this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. It means that it was put out of place. So his hip was put out of place as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? But then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. You've got to be careful with that word. Saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he, as he passed. You can read it for yourself. And then he was limping because of his hip. So in this moment, Jacob is left all alone. 
And then he wrestles with, um, the Bible says, he wrestles with a man, but really by, by our context clues, as we, as we see later in the verse, that he wasn't just wrestling against some mere man because he wouldn't ask the man uh, to bless him. He said, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. And this man was actually, um, it's actually known as a Christophany, which is a fancy word for saying it was Christ appearing on the earth in, in, a, in human form before he actually came was born in the earth. So it's something that happened in the Old Testament. It was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament that Jacob wrestled against this, um, this man who was Christ. You'll see it all throughout the Old Testament. If you, if you read um, um, an angel of the Lord, a lot, most times, about 95% of the time that you read an angel of the Lord did this, angel of the Lord did that, that's a Christophany. And so in this moment, Jacob wrestles against God himself. And he struggles with him so hard that God sees, I'm not, he's not going to let me go. And he had to touch his hip and he had to put it out of place in order for him to conquer Jacob that night. And so in that moment, God names him Israel because Israel means in the Hebrew language, it means that one who has struggled with God and prevailed. And Israel, it has a whole different meaning than Jacob. Jacob means a trickster. Jacob means a liar, a deceiver. Israel means it's one who has struggled with God, one who has come face-to-face contact with God, and he has prevailed. In that moment, Jacob became Israel forever. And yeah, but the Israel, it is the same name as the country that is in the Middle East today. The country was named after Jacob because he was the father of the descendants that all form the 12 tribes of Israel. And so everybody that is a native to Israel can f- track their roots back to Jacob today. And when you speak about the history of the Jewish people, about our Christian faith, it's impossible to not speak about Israel. So through the life of Jacob today, one big takeaway that I want you to have that you can, we can take away, we can learn this principle, is that it's not about who we were, It's about who we become. It's not about who you were, who you used to be. It's about who you become. Because God is not focused on your performance as much as God is focused on your potential. See, God encountered Jacob when he was Jacob. God encountered Jacob while he was still a trickster. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. Because God knew that Jacob had so much more to offer than his present state. And that's where God encounters us too. I was a Jacob when God encountered me. But God saw in my life, he saw my potential for the future. He didn't see the the struggles that I was currently in. And, And it's the same for you. That there are days like you may feel like the liar. You may feel like the trickster, the addict, the abuser, the fornicator, the empty, the broken. But you have got to stop identifying yourself by these titles Because God doesn't see those when he looks at you. God looks at you and he sees your potential. God will look at a Jacob and see an Israel. God will look at your bondage and he'll see freedom. God will look at your mistakes and he he will see your ministry. God will look at your problems and he'll see your purpose. See, this this is the issue I have with a lot of rehabilitation programs. 
Nothing against them. If you've been to AA, that is amazing. Um, and I don't want to say anything negative about it. But, but, but a lot of rehabilitation programs will teach you to always identify yourself as an addict from that moment on. They say, always be. And I get, the, I get what's behind that. You want to... Um, you want to teach people to, to be watchful and vigilant and not let yourself slip back into the past. And so they, when you remind yourself that, hey, I'm an addict, so I shouldn't do this, I, I get it. You don't, they don't want you to forget where you came from. I get it. But, but this is also what I found, that most people that always identify themselves as addicts never truly find freedom from their past because they're continuing to identify themselves as an, as an addict. They're not actually, you can't find freedom from something that you continue to put on your own shoulders. And, and so many of them that I've seen, that they, they've gone through these programs and they still identify themselves this way, many of them, they end up relapsing back into their old lifestyle that they were free from. And the, the difference is this, that we've got to start seeing ourselves, ourselves as, as the way that God sees us. We have to start identifying ourselves by the names that God has for us. Your thoughts become your words, your words become your behavior, and your behavior becomes your lifestyle. And whatever you identify yourself as is eventually going to work itself out, and your lifestyle is going to wrap around the words that you're speaking. When we start seeing ourselves, though, the way that God sees us, we'll start living in freedom. When we start seeing our life from God's perspective, watch what happens. Because it's not about who you were, it's about who you become. As we read through the story of Jacob, here's some practical ideas that we can find throughout the story. Number one, God will encounter you on your way to something else. Oftentimes, these are the life-changing occurrences that take place is while you're on the way to something else, while you're, while you're moving into something that you have, you've got a mission, you've got a, a designated place to go, that is when God will encounter you. Most encounters with God happen in unexpected places. We see this in the life of Jacob. He thought he was going on to meet his brother Esau, and he met God on the way. Most of Jesus' ministry to people happened while he was on the way to another village. Here's a story in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus, Jebus, <laughs> on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria, uh, excuse me, Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. So on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus encountered these men with leprosy. And what happens is Jesus heals them from their leprosy and they go on their merry way. But Jesus found them on the way to Jerusalem. There's another story in your Bible that is in the book of Acts. There's this guy named Saul, who's the chief, um, the principal killer of Christians at the time. He's the principal um, murderer. The, he locks them up. He beats them. He locks them up. He's the ringleader of the, all the persecution that's happening to the Christians at the time. And he's on, his, he's on the way to a place called Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus. And that's where he encounters Jesus. Jesus appears right in front of him. He blinds him. Like literally, Paul, Saul falls off his donkey and he's blinded. His eyes are blinded. And then he encounters Jesus in that moment and he can't deny it any longer. 
Jesus met Paul, who was Saul, on his way to somewhere else. And that's the way that God often operates with us. We're on our way somewhere else. We're, we're on our way to doing something that we've got it set in our minds, and all of a sudden, boom, God shows up and changes everything. Jacob was on his way to meet Esau, and that's when he encountered God. You can't plan God's presence. You can't plan it out. There's no way you can plan God's presence, but you can make room for it. And so our job isn't to orchestrate the times that God meets with us. Our job is to simply make ourselves available for God to meet us, for God to, to encounter us, for us to interact with Him. I was, uh, um, I was at a pastor's retreat earlier this week up in, uh, in Oklahoma and had a, uh, some good friends there. And I had a friend say this, that any time that he's, that he's in a conversation, he always has one ear that's tuned into the conversation, but he always tries to have one ear that's always tuned in to what God is saying. And so it's not like you're, you know, separated from the conversation, but while you're speaking, you never know what God is going to speak to you while you're talking to somebody. See, what was, what was happening was he was making room for God in his conversations with people. We need to find a way to, to make ourselves present and available to God. Present with other people, but always available to God. How many times do we find ourselves driving somewhere and on the way we see somebody on the side of the road broken down uh, or maybe they're trying to, to change a flat tire? And if we don't make ourselves available, we drive right past it. I've got places to be. I don't have time to stop. And we miss this opportunity to bless somebody. We miss this opportunity for what could be the way that God is going to impact someone else because we haven't made enough margin in our lives that, that we can let God do what God wants to do because we're so busy, we're on the way to somewhere else. But if we make room, and you know, this can be made in our schedule, like we can actually make room in our schedule. Um, making room sometimes means leaving earlier just in case, right? Like leaving earlier, just in case I see somebody on the side of the road, just in case somebody's changing the tires, just in case God wants me to go a little bit out of my way for some reason. We can, we can build that into our schedules. We can, in fact, you need to build a little bit of margin in your schedule because God oftentimes will encounter you on the way to somewhere else, just like he did for Jacob. Making room means not being so busy in life that you don't have a moment to slow down. Like if your schedule's taken up every, all day, every day, you're going and going and going and going, and you never have a time to rest, I can promise you it's going to be real hard for you to have an encounter with Jesus. It's going to be really hard for you to have a life-changing encounter because it's going to take you off your schedule. But, but you can build the margin and you can make room. That means like, hey, maybe you need to wake up earlier in the morning. And maybe you need to just spend 15 minutes devoting the, per, the first part of your day to God through reading your, studying your Bible, through praying, through, through singing, whatever it might be. Just devote that first part to Him and make room for Him to meet you there. Because God will encounter you on your place, on your way to somewhere else. Number two... An encounter with God will leave you changed. Every single time an encounter with God will leave you changed. It's impossible to truly meet God and walk away the same person 
as you were. The presence of God is the only thing that has the power to transform you from the inside out. See, there's a reason Jacob walked away changed in two different ways. He walked away with a limp. And you know what? This, this limp was, a, was signifying. In fact, it's, the Bible says that the, 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 the Jewish people still don't eat the, the meat from the hip. Because they're in remembrance of the moment that God put Jacob's hip out of place. He walked away limping, but it was a, it, he was marked. There was something about Jacob that had changed, and he gets to now describe to people in detail that my hips, I'm limping because I had a moment with God. Now, that doesn't, I'm not saying that like every time you're wounded and betrayed and hurt, it's not God marking you, but you will be different when you walk away. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to mar you. He's... But you are going to be different. Jacob's name was changed to Israel because it signified the difference that from the person that he was versus the person that God was calling him to be. We see that name change take place all throughout the Bible. Saul, the guy that persecuted Christians, was named, his name was changed to Paul. Um, uh, Peter, um, the number one, like the probably the the uh, most popular apostle that you read about in your Bible, disciple of Jesus, Peter's name used to be Simon, but Simon was changed to Peter. Simon means small pebble, Peter means large rock. And Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so there's moments that happen throughout our lives where God used a name change in the Bible to signify the change that had taken in their hearts. And God has, is the only one with the power to transform us from the heart out. We can modify our behavior. We can change our habits. But the only thing that really seals the deal is when we let God transform us. But the good news is this, that God doesn't just make you better. God doesn't take people and make them better. God takes people and he makes them new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. When we encounter God, when we give our lives to Christ, we're no longer who we used to be. God hasn't just taken us and, and dusted us off and cleaned us up and put us back out there. No, God has taken us and he's made us completely brand new. The word here means something that has never existed before. A new creature. You're not, you don't have to identify with your past. You don't have to identify with your, your, with your past struggles because God has taken you and he's made you completely new. The old man is gone. The new is here. <coughs> God isn't changing your habits. God is not in the, the habit-changing business. God is in the life-transforming business. Do you want true life change? You've got to stop focusing on changing the way you live and just allow your life to be changed. How it usually happens, it can be described like this. Have you ever done this? You've, just been, you've been driving down the road and you just focus on something on the side of the road, on, on, on like a... On a ditch, right? You can be driving, you're driving down the road and you're focused on this ditch. And you know what happens every single time is that eventually you start drifting toward what you're looking at. You're going to start drifting toward the ditch. Or maybe your eyes are in the rear view mirror 
And you can't stay focused on where you're going because your eyes are too fixed on where you've come from or what you're trying to avoid while you go. You're going to start drifting. But our job is just to keep our eyes focused and straight in front of us. Keep our eyes fixed on the goal, on the mission. And focus on moving forward. Because if you're focused on trying to avoid your struggles, if you're focused on trying to avoid your past, you're eventually just going to slip right back into it. Because whatever we focus on matters. Whatever we focus on is magnified. So you can choose to focus on your struggles, or you can choose to focus on Jesus. And only one of them is going to transform your life. An encounter with God is truly the only thing that can change someone at the deepest level. And then finally, number three, God wants a personal encounter with you. God wants a personal encounter with you. See, our relationship with God can't piggyback off of mama's relationship with God or, or grandma's relationship with God. God wants a personal relationship with you and with me. This is a very personal faith to each of us, but that doesn't mean we need to keep it between us and God, right? But there's, there's some things that happen that only God, it's, it's, it's only God and I involved, that there's this personal relationship with God, and He wants to have a personal encounter with you. And how do we encounter God? Like We've talked about it. It's not every time that we're walking down the road and God just shows himself to you. The good news is this, that the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, God says this, he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's that simple. To have this encounter with God, all we got to do is look for Him. See, when you start looking for God in places, I promise you you're going to find Him. You'll always find what you're looking for. So Jacob was left alone. There's so much power in that statement. But the, Bible's, the, the Bible feels it very... God feels it important enough to put it in the Bible that... Jacob was left alone. His friends, his family, his, his, his possessions, his wealth, it had all gone on. And all that stood there was Jacob by himself. See, God is not impressed by the size of your house, the number of zeros in your bank account, or even the stability of your family. He doesn't care about any of that if he can't have your heart. If he can't have this personal encounter with you, the most impactful encounter we can have with God is when everything else is stripped away. Just you and him. Not worrying about anything else. Not burdened by the tough things that we're going through. The family issues that we're having to solve. See, your successes and your failures can both be hindrances. To encountering God in an authentic way. You never thought about that. You're, the things that you've done right can be a hindrance too. See, what happens is your failures will cause you to think you aren't worthy. And so you won't look for God. Because 
I got to clean myself up. I got to get myself together. I can't go to church yet. I got to clean myself up to, to, to go to church. When was the last time you saw somebody with a broken arm that says, I got to wait for this thing to heal before I go to the hospital? It doesn't make sense. Jesus said, I'm not, I haven't come to talk to the healthy. I've come to talk to the sick. The healthy don't need a doctor. Jesus is looking for the ones that are dirty. Jesus is looking for the ones that are broken. He's looking for the ones that are hurting. But you're, you're thinking to yourself, you're not worthy, and so you never look for him back. Or then, there's some people that, hey, life is, life is great. But your success can be a hindrance to you encountering God. Because when your successes will cause you to think that you can do it all on your own. If life is going great, why would I need God? I can do it all on my own. And so you don't look for him. There's a lot of very wealthy people in this world that are empty on the inside. They've got everything that life could, that, that life could give them. They've got more money than they know what to do with. And yet, they're still empty. Because there's something inside of each one of us that, are, that is reaching out for God. That is reaching out for fulfillment, for purpose, for change. And we'll never find it in stuff. God's not impressed with that. He wants your heart. I'd rather be in a, in a cardboard box on the side of the road with God than to be in a 12-bedroom mansion and it's just me by myself. See, both of these are false ways of thinking. The truth is, none of us are worthy to meet God. None of us are worthy to encounter God. But He still chooses to make Himself available to us. That's called grace. That's called love. When all of the self-made obstacles are removed... That's when God can move in your life. When everything is stripped away, that's when you can truly encounter God. And listen, you got to let it go because it's not about who you were. It's about who you become. Your story's not over. Your story's not finished as long as he's in it. Remember last week we, we learned that Jesus is the author of and the editor of our faith, of our story. As long as God's writing it, it's about who you become and not about who you were. See, when Moses called, or when God called Moses, we talked about it last week, when God called Moses, it's very interesting to me that, that Moses is like, who should I say sent me? And God calls himself the, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Like if I was God, I would call myself the name of Abraham. I would just call myself, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Israel. But God chooses not to acknowledge himself as the God for the successful, righteous Israel, the one that wrestled him until daybreak to get blessed. No, God chooses to recognize himself as the God to Jacob. The liar, the trickster, the manipulator, the deceiver. God chose to say, I'm the, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham. 
when you get it right. And I'm the God of when you get it wrong. I'm the God of when you have everything all together. And I'm the God when it's falling all apart. I'm the God that when, when, when your, your life is going perfect and you're successful. And I'm the God when you're trying to manipulate and lie and cheat in order to get ahead. God says, I'm the God of those people too. But God can turn a Jacob into an Israel in the blink of an eye. Because it's not about who you were. It's about who you become. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.